So let's see here, guys. Where are we in the Torah? Fairly profound place that we have arrived here today. And that's what we're going to talk about. But what we're actually going to talk about is a redefinition of a word that we're very, very familiar with. Kedoshim, what does Kedoshim mean? Like holy ones, holy ones, holies. So, you know, what, what does that mean? Because this portion is, is filled with a lot of, you should do this, you should do this. But I have, a, I have this general sense that we, in our 2018 religious culture, have kind of missed the boat on what holiness actually is. And so I want to I redefine holiness a little bit today. Uh, because we have arrived from starting the Torah back in October, from the Garden in Bereshit, to Exodus, to the Exodus in Shemot, to the giving of the Torah, to the inauguration of the priesthood that we looked at last week and the dedication of the tabernacle. And now we've got these types and laws of, of approaching God through sacrifice, but we've arrived here and where is here? Roughly the middle of the Torah, roughly. It's not technically the middle of the Torah. But figuratively, spiritually, we might suggest that this is the very spine of the Torah, the middle of the middle book of the Torah, in Parsha Kedoshim. It's beginning in Leviticus 19. This is actually a double portion. So we have after the death, which talks about the death of Hu, Nadab, and Abihu, Aaron's sons. And it's coupled this week with Kedoshim. So we're going to spend our time in Kedoshim. <clears throat> When we look at this chapter of Leviticus, quoting Sanford Olshansky, who I have no idea who that is. He's a rabbinical student that I liked his quote online. It's been said that Leviticus 19, located almost in the exact middle of the Torah scroll, could stand for the entire Torah. It has even been shown that the entire Ten Commandments are echoed here. But the holiness code goes beyond the Ten Commandments to teach us even more specifically how to live a good and holy life. This is the instruction for living. Now, back when we were talking tribally, tribally, and we talked about our, 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 our vision, our, our mission for Nahumu Ami, who can, who can tell me what our statement for Nahumu Ami is that we ended up as a tribe? That's part of it. It's this simple, and this was our question. Could it really be this simple? Loving God, loving each other. And Darren and I had a conversation back then about, well, loving each other. Like, what does that mean? And we talked about Chick-fil-A, and we talked about adding value to people, and we looked at that. But this right here is a concrete instruction manual for what that looks like. But it's all couched in being, not couched, it's not concealed. It's outwardly stated, you will do these things because you will be holy because I am holy. And over and over we read, I am the Lord, you shall faithfully observe all my laws and all my rules. I am the Lord, you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And the big one, we said it today, in the, we read it in the, in the Torah service, Dabar, or Daber, El Koladat Bene Yisrael Veamarta Alehem Kedoshim Tiyuki Kadosh Ani Adonai Elohechem. You shall be. 
For I am the Lord, I the Lord your God am. Okay, Kedoshim, Holy One. Why? Why are we going to be holy according to that logic? According to the statement that was just said, you shall be holy for the Lord your God, I am holy. Why are we going to? It's not difficult. It's straight right out there. He just said it. You shall do it because I am. It's not even a trick question today. Why? Because he is. Great. Can we do that? Can we accomplish that? It's actually a strange thing. You shall do it because I do it. Can we be like God? Obviously, he thinks so, or else why would he give us an instruction to do this? But what does it mean? How? Well, we need to understand holiness. If, something ha- if somebody has something that we want to emulate, if they have something that we want to be, then we need to study and understand and know what that thing is, what it looks like, how we can take what they are and make it us because they told us we should. And so as I've said, I'm not really sure exactly that holiness in the big world out there is, is understood in the way we're going to look at it. So I want to redefine it. Uh, well, I'm not, let me not say redefine. Re-examine it because it's not a redefinition in any way. It's a return to the proper definition of holiness according to Judaism, according to Messiah Yeshua, and we'll see how. And first, we're going to look at where the common understanding of holiness has taken a wrong turn. What is God's holiness? Let's start right there. What does that look like? What is God's holiness? To be holy is to be what? You got it. Set apart. Distinct. Different. Not common, basically. It's not like, holy and horribly vile and rancidly bad. That could, that's, that's definitely not holy. But holy and common. Like, these are, these are distinctions. So, it's to be set apart, distinct, distinguished, not common. Is that God? Is God set apart? Is He not common? Is He distinct? Is He separate? Yes, He is. Psalm 103 confirms that. His throne is in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. He is untouchable, unapproachable on our terms. There are very special considerations that need to be taken into account when we go before God. How dare you? I have Yeshua. Yes, you do. That's a special consideration. That's something that you had to do to be able to go into the presence of God in the end of times, at the end, you know, nothing can stand in the presence of God without being sanctified. So he is an all-consuming fire. That was something that troubled the sages along the way. How can we approach him when he's an all-consuming fire? So far beyond our conception, we, we can't We can't even begin to fathom how different and distant and unique the God who created the universe is from us. That's not in your human mind, no matter how smart you might be. Can we model that? Can we be that? No. 
very good, Judy. You waited for me to give you the answer, and then you shook your head. Very good. Because in all, I mean, but, but the truth is, that's really not the question. Should we attempt to model that is the weird question that I want to ask. We can't really and we shouldn't, but is that all that defines God's holiness? Is that what God is when we define him as holy? It is part of it, but it is not all of it. In other words, what I describe here to you is the transcendent God, right? We know this word, transcendent. He's he's above all, he's beyond, he's separate, he's unapproachable, he's holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, 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 transcendent. But God's holiness also encompasses the very, very important, it's probably a theological word. Does anyone know what the, what the counter to transcendence is? Imminence. God's holiness is reflected in his imminence to us. They are not independent components. And here's what I want to look at. God is imminent in the fact that He is existing and operating here today in Shachrit. God was here. I heard the voices and I heard declarations of praise and I can sense God's presence. He's not so far away that we can't sense Him. Who prays? Who has encounters with God? Who experiences God moving in their life? Who ate today? God is imminent. He is is with us, existing and operating, sustaining the universe. He is transcendent, and He is imminent. And right here comes our first redefinition. Holiness means separated, set apart. We know that. But the human concept of holiness tends too often to stop there and say, that is holy. If we are histolic, if, if, if we are holy, if we call ourselves holy people, the historical trend is that we are transcendent. We're above. Everyone's heard the phrase holier than thou, right? You're most holy people who are so far above you. That is to say that my, my holiness is my pursuit of like being like God who is above all, who's transcendent, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm above you. I'm pursuing holy things. I'm doing holy things. My job is to be perfect, spotless, pure, sanctified, to experience God. To live my life from experience to experience, living in the Spirit. To live a life separated from all this mishigas that is common and beneath me. I am transcendent and holy. Gaze upon my holiness. So many pursue the experience of transcendence as their pursuit of holiness. I will be like God seeking to experience Him on the higher levels. I will be holy like God, seeking to be above the world. And my friends, hear me clearly, this is good at times. It is good. We should have the Isaiah 6 moments. 
You know, where he sees, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne. He's lofty and exalted. The train of his robe is filling the temple. We should have the Daniel 7 moments. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. We should have the John Revelation moments. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. That's transcendent. That's powerful. That's holy. That's amazing. And for those moments, those moments should affect us deeply in our conception of our God. To fear Him, to worship Him, to desire to be set apart, pure, distinct, and beautiful. But have you ever met somebody who always acts like they're in that place? Have you ever met the person who is always on the spiritual plane the holy person, the exalted one who uh, I, was, I was speaking with the Lord today face to face in my study. And uh, here's what he told me about you and what you need to do to make your life better. Yes, I was at McDonald's and I was, you know, I was eating a chicken nugget and I opened it up and all of a sudden the Spirit of God came out of the nugget. And it was, it was, it was surrounding me and I was encompassed in holiness and have you ever met people like this who you can't have a normal conversation with them? I have a lot. Like They're on another plane. They're constantly in some type of experience. Their language, their conversations, their way of relating to people is just weird. And there's a word. Sometimes, sometimes those people are prone to be labeled as holy. Oh, one day I aspire to be, I want to have that type of relationship with God. I want to be connected like that. And they're always on the mountain. They're always, always on the mountain like Moses. I wish I could be holy like that. But according to God's definition and his manifestation of his holiness, according to Judaism and according to our Parsha, they are not holy, they are selfish. How do we get there? How do we get there? They're not holy, they're selfish. There's an interesting Hasidic midrash. You remember this story that we started with, Ahare Mot, after the death. Everyone remembers the story just a couple partial back about Nadab and Abihu, Nadav and Abihu, right? And what did they do? They went where? Into Holy of Holies with something strange. And what happened to them? They died. So, Aharemot, after the death. That's who we're talking about. And it's said again, even a couple of portions later, we're still talking about this. So there's something. But, but there's this, this interesting look from Hasidim that I want to I share with you. There's a Hasidic explanation that Aaron's two sons did not sin literally. Their sin was to allow their desire to cleave to God to mount to such an intensity that they died. You hear that? 
Their bodies could no longer contain their souls. Thus the Torah says, when they drew near to the Lord with such passion, they died, and this was counted as sin. For although, and this is a very traditional book, so it's talking to Jews, this was counted as sin. For although a Jew must divest himself of material concerns, at the moment when he stands poised at the ultimate ecstasy of the soul, he must turn again to the work that the soul must do within a physical existence. Now that's a little complicated, but basically you follow me. It's written in the word in Pirkei Avot, against your will, you will live. Set against the desire of the soul to rise beyond the world is the task of creating a dwelling place for God within the world. Nadav and Abihu achieved the ecstasy, but they did not return. This was their sin and the reason for their death. They drew near to the Lord and they died. They let their spiritual passion override their this worldly task. They went beyond the world and beyond life itself. Translation, super spiritual dudes who lost themselves in their real calling to be holy. And I'll explain that just a little bit. And someone says, and will say, that's ridiculous. That's a complete and total made-up thing. That doesn't have anything to do with the text. It says they brought strange fire and they died. It does say that. But I don't exactly know what that means. And this interpretation, this story has something very, very important to tell us, and that is this. We will have the moments of transcendence, the spiritual highs, but eminence is a part of our holy calling because it is God's holy activity. He is eminent. How is God showing mercy to us? He is showing mercy to us. How? Should I count the ways for you? Should I count the ways that God is not only above, but is actively involved in every single thing you do? All our prayers constantly remind us of this. He creates the luminaries. He brings forth bread from the earth. He blesses us with health to work, to earn, the ability to procreate with enjoyment. So to Kedoshim, this is the blueprint for holy living where? In the transcendent heights where we're constantly on the spiritual journey? In the world. That is a significant part of holiness. Exactly just like God. Well, I'm supposed to be in the world, not of it. Exactly just like God, who is all in the world, but still not of it. We are holy like God in our transcendence and our eminence. And for those people who disregard the second, they are not holy. They are selfish. Jeremiah 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. 
in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Translation and context, boast not in your transcendence, but in your eminence, how you share those moments in earth with people. This is what God does. And it's very hard to, pr- pra- to practice those things, to love your neighbor, to not set a stumbling block. It's very hard to do these things when you're constantly on the mountain. And no one can even talk to you because of your super spiritual chicken nuggets. You get it? So too with Yeshua and the experience of salvation. The experience of the death, burial, resurrection, even the ascension for the disciples. You think there was anything more spiritual than that? Like that was literally the mountaintop experience. And what did they do next? Say, Yeshua, take us with you. Don't leave us here, please. They got to work. They got imminent real quick because that's what Yeshua told them to do and that's what their holiness would look like. I never heard them say, take me with you when he left. For Nadav and Avihu, the lesson says that they pursued God, the higher realm, without thought of returning. And this guy, Rebbe Schneerson, says this, must, we must always return For the task lies within the world, sanctifying, not forsaking your earthly situation. Do you hear that? Bloom where you're planted. The energy, the highs, the spirit-filled moments are not to depart the world, but instead to return to it. Inspired to take the love of God and His holiness out to the people that he wants you to take it to. The Torah, near the middle of the five books, the spine of the Torah, this is the vessel which contains the energy. This is how you do it. What you take from God, you give back. You don't hoard. That's holiness. To live a holy life. The super spiritual one is the dangerous one. He's the one you avoid. The one who constantly hears from God for their own sake, to elevate their own status, that is not the goal. And because God does not require of us the impossible, He sent His Son to exemplify how this plan can be accomplished because what did Yeshua do? If anybody ever who put two feet on this planet was a transcendent dude who knew what it meant to have moments and experiences with the Father, if anyone ever, it was Him. And He got off on His own and He prayed and He did all these other kinds of things, but He was always in the world, exemplifying eminent holiness. And it is the same with the Holy Spirit. I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, told me the Holy Spirit, told me the Holy Spirit, That wasn't, I wasn't speaking in tongues. What I'm saying here is that people abuse the Holy Spirit. Everywhere I look in the Scriptures regarding the Holy Spirit, it is not for the person necessarily to demonstrate their holiness, but instead to take the gift that the Ruach HaKodesh gives you to share with someone else. The Holy Spirit guides us in wisdom and it does give us personal comfort. But where I see the Holy Spirit being used powerfully, someone is taking it in and giving it to someone else. 
They're sharing the Holy Spirit in a holy way, in an imminent, close way. The root of Kedusha also means designated. Like, when, remember when Reuven Prager was here and he was using the term hektish. Hektish is something that's been set apart for holy service, something that's appropriate for the temple. It's designated, it's separated, it's dedicated to a higher cause, which is exactly how we live our life. I do live my life dedicated to a higher cause, to the God in heaven. Yes, you should. But there's the man on earth and the woman on earth and the child on earth who is part of your holy higher cause. We love God in pursuit of holiness. We love our neighbor as a result of holiness. And along these paths, you will become holy, sanctified, and it will all flow out outwardly. It's not always the experience of the mountain. The truly holy person doesn't engage in activity where he is the sole beneficiary. Nadab and Abihu. They had a really cool role. They were the sons of Aaron. They had something that was amazing that they were going to be able to do. They were going to serve for the people in this in this intermediary role. They were going to be priests. They were going to be able to encounter God. For who? For the people. Their holy service was not all about them. A little bit of it was for them, but it was for everyone else. And that's what a holy person looks like. I read this interesting thing that struck me. When you go to the gym and work out, a truly holy person is not at the gym because they want to build muscles and look good for the world. Do you know why the truly holy person is at the gym? So that they will be healthy to care for those who God has entrusted to them. That even the act of the bench press is a holy activity if your mind is directed on the fact that you're, you're doing that for another. That's what the holy person does. They constantly are imminent in the lives of others. They take their transcendence and they transfer it into imminence. That is what holiness looks like. And back to our Hasidic consideration of Nadav and Abihu. There's this interesting thing that surrounds this text. In Leviticus 10, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant. This is after they died. Not in this portion, an earlier one. This is what the Lord meant when he said, through those near me, I show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. For those near to me, I show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. Do you think God really wanted to gain glory by striking those two dudes down? What he wanted to do was have them draw near to him and go out after that as a representative, as a, as a model of God, of his holiness, and interact with the people. That second part, and gain glory before all the people. When you experience my holiness, God says it should be transformative to those around you. And by that, I will gain glory among all the people. 
And so we can see from this reassessment, transcendent and imminent holiness of separation leading to together, of distance leading to closeness. These are the reasons why Yeshua would pick the two things that he said as the most important commandments. What are they? Right. Love the Lord your God in your transcendent moments. Be with him. Seek him. Seek his face. Know him. Study his word. Understand God. Have a relationship with him. That's only yours. No one interferes with that. It's yours. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then bring it down. And remember that your place is in the world. Not of it. Fine. In it. Not of it. Fine. But you're in it. Bloom where you're planted. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be imminent. Share yourself. Holiness is so much more than what we watch on TV or how much we read our Bibles or how we pray or how much we know about God. Those are components for sure, but, but separation is not God's definition of holiness. Jeremiah 9, in the earth God does these things and He delights in these things. Can we be holy by His definition? Absolutely. Can we be holy to some degree on the transcendent? Yeah, we can. We can have our Nadav and Avihu moments. We can have those refining fire spiritual moments. And that's part of God's holiness. But our big calling as co-laborers, as, 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 as workers who are creating, as the Rebbe said, a place on earth. Our calling is to sanctify the earth, not forsake it. To create a home for God. Can we be holy like God? Yes, the answer is will we? What motivates us to strive for holiness? Our benefit or theirs? Because it's actually both but it's incomplete without both. God is holy in the world. In the world. Moving. Acting in people's lives. And if we are to be like Him, we will be also. Shabbat Shalom.